few years ago, I spent a summer working as a hospital chaplain at St. Luke's Hospital in Houston. I was fulfilling a unit of clinical pastoral education, which is an internship required in order to uh, be ordained to the priesthood. And so as part of this internship, I was required to spend a certain number of hours on call. And so that meant that seven or eight times that summer, I spent a full 24 hours at the hospital. Those on-call nights brought me some of my most challenging moments during that internship, moments when I sat with people um, in the midst of grief, but they were also some of the most holy and meaningful moments during that summer. But by the end of the shift, I was inevitably exhausted physically and emotionally. I was tired. I was ready to go home. So I developed this ritual over the summer. Uh, after attending the staff meeting in the morning, I, on my way home, I would stop at Torchy's Tacos and pick up a couple of breakfast tacos and some queso to wash it down with. I'd take my tacos home and watch TV uh, to kind of clear my mind. And then I'd get in bed and take a long nap perhaps not the healthiest way in order to deal with um, what I was dealing with, but if you've ever spent more than 24 hours up um, at once, you know that it's difficult to be healthy when you're um, awake for so many hours at night. That summer gave me insight and empathy into a whole world of people who work at night. The emergency room nurses and doctors and medical residents who worked, they worked much harder and much longer hours than I ever did during that summer. There are the construction workers and factory workers who have to complete their work while the rest of the world sleeps. There are restaurant workers who don't leave until 1 a.m., don't get home until later than that. And of course, parent of, parents of newborns um, are also up every few hours when the rest of the world is sleeping. There is a whole world of people that are awake while the rest of us sleep. Before the disciples ever met a man named Jesus and followed him around Judea and finally to Jerusalem, many of them were themselves part of this world of people who work at night. They were fishermen on the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, and their work, from what I understand, was best done at night, their work of fishing. In the gospel story that we hear today, the disciples decide to go back to Galilee, back to their previous life. I think it's a funny thing that they decide to go back to their old world after the whirlwind of events that they've just experienced in Jerusalem, the crucifixion and death of their Lord Jesus, his resurrection. It's been a whirlwind of events. So why do they go back to their old world, their world pre-resurrection? Haven't they been commissioned by Jesus to share the message, to make disciples of all nations, to be fishers of men? Why then does Peter suggest that they go back to being fishers of fish. Maybe the disciples and Peter are just so exhausted from this roller coaster of events that they've just been, they've just been through so much that they need to go back home and do something familiar. How many of us 
find ourselves wanting to go back home, to go back to a world that perhaps doesn't exist anymore. All of us have defining moments in our lives, moments that we can point to and we can say, there is a before and there is an after, and I was never the same after and I can never go back to the way it was before. Peter and the disciples can't go back to their old pre-resurrection world any more than we can go back to our old worlds. But the disciples are trying, and don't we at least try, try at least sometimes, from time to time? Don't we wish that we could go back to the way it was? Back the way it was before we grew up. The way it was before our mother or husband or brother or friend died. The way it was before we moved to a brand new city and our lives changed forever. The way it was before smartphones changed the way that we live our lives and our attention spans. We can try all we want, but we cannot go back to the way things used to be, can we? There are some events that are so final, so momentous, that nothing will ever be the same. And this is where the disciples find themselves as they are working on a boat all through the night in the midst of the Sea of Galilee, but catching absolutely nothing, even as dawn breaks. Now, if you've ever pulled an all-nighter, perhaps you've noticed that the world feels different when sun rises, different from when you've had a full eight hours of restful sleep. You notice that the sunlight feels brighter, but I, at least I notice that the world kind of feels more distant, that I'm not really a part of the world as I would be if I had had a full night's rest. And so I imagine that the disciples, as dawn breaks, feel this kind of woozy alertness when they see a figure in the distance, a hundred yards away, this person who tells them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. And when they haul their nets in and they're miraculously full of fish, it sets off a chain reaction. This time, instead of, it's, it's, a, it's a scene that is very reminiscent of what happens on Easter morning, except this time, instead of hearing a shout saying, the tomb is empty, there is a shout. The beloved disciple says, it is the Lord. And Simon Peter, like on Easter morning when he ran to the tomb, Simon Peter jumps into action. This time he jumps into the water, wanting to be as close to his Lord as soon as possible. Jesus' resurrection changed everything for the disciples. There is no escaping the new reality of their lives. The reality of their lives is that they are no longer fishermen, but they are followers disciples, and now apostles of Jesus. Even as they're tempted to return to their old lives, the resurrected Jesus will not let them. He is with them, this time the third time that he's shown himself uh, since he died and was resurrected. He is with them, pulling them in to their new vocations. Notice there's a lot of pulling and hauling in this story from John's Gospel. The disciples haul the nets full of bursting, bursting full of fish into the boat. 
Once the boat is nearby the shore, Peter goes aboard and he hauls the bursting nets to the shore. This word haul or pull in the Greek is the same word that Jesus has used earlier in John's gospel. He says in chapter 6, no one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. And in chapter 12 of John's gospel, he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Myself. I think there's no mistake, no, um, it's no mistake that the author of John's gospel is using the same word because Peter himself is drawn irresistibly to Jesus when he recognizes that it's Jesus on the shore and he impulsively jumps into the water. The water covers him as he struggles to swim, dragged down by his clothes, swimming towards Jesus. Could it be, I wonder, that whoever wrote this story wants us to connect Peter's immersion in the Lake of Galilee with the cleansing waters of baptism. Peter swims through the baptismal waters towards Jesus, who has prepared a meal of fish and bread for Peter and the disciples. Jesus asks Peter to bring the net full of fish to him. Another moment, a symbolic moment perhaps, when Peter is drawing this net of fish, which represent the Christian community. John's, the author of this story, is very particular about saying that there are 153 fish in that net, perhaps representing the number of Christians in that community at that time. We don't know, but it does seem very important that he's drawing all of these fish to Jesus. Jesus takes the bread on the shore of the Lake of Galilee, and he gives it to the disciples, just as he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them once before. Are you noticing these themes of baptism and Eucharist in this story? We are pulled in so many directions in our lives. Sometimes we barely wake up in the morning before we are, feel ourselves pulled back into the events of the night before or of the year before or the events of our past lives or the lives that we wish we lived or think that we should have lived. But knowing the risen Christ changes everything for us, just as it changed everything for the disciples. Like Peter, we are pulled into the waters of our baptism, many of us unaware as infants, but we're changed nonetheless. Our baptism drags us, pulls us into a new life in Christ. It brings us into a new community. It gives us a new perspective. It calls us to a new vocation. We don't have to be on a mountaintop or to stay up all night in order to know the risen Christ. We don't have to have, we don't need to have a dramatic road to Damascus, road to Damascus experience like Saul had when we just read, that we just read about in the Acts of the Apostles. We don't have to change ourselves completely or forget about our past completely. We just need to keep swimming like Peter in the waters of baptism. Tertullian, the early church father, wrote, 
But we, little fishes, after the example of Jesus Christ, are born in water, nor have we safety in any other way than by permanently abiding in the water. Little fishes, we are born in the water. By staying in the water, we are saved. Amen.